Sending help from BC to Beirut. No shelter, no food, no water. Like you have nothing. You're literally on the ground. Locals share stories of loved ones suffering after disaster and ways you can pitch in. Turbulence in the airline industry. Domestic flights, uh, the information is very inconsistent. The BC government pressures airlines to do a lot more to help COVID contact tracing. And trashy campers. There was ping pong table, there were gasoline containers, there was garbage strewn about. The mess left behind and how COVID-19 is contributing to the problem. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. New video showing the moment of yesterday's deadly explosion in Beirut. A bystander filming the cloud of smoke where a fire had already broken out when that enormous blast erupted. Also, images of the port area before and after show the destruction. A huge crater at the site of the blast. Nearly every building sustaining significant damage or reduced to rubble entirely. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. Beirut is where we begin tonight with the shocking and widespread damage as rescue crews dig for survivors. There are growing calls for accountability over what's believed to be the mishandling of explosive material that accidentally detonated. More than 100 people are dead. Hundreds more are missing and tens of thousands have lost their homes. Grace Key has our top story tonight. This man was trapped for 16 hours under rubble and hooked up to an oxygen tank while workers scrambled to free his leg. The desperate search continues in the wake of Tuesday's massive blast. The death toll in Beirut, now 135, another 5,000 are injured. The explosion happened in a warehouse in the city's port area. The first blast ignited a fire. In the second, a mushroom cloud of debris and water filled the sky, sending shockwaves through shops. A church service and a photo shoot. Where seconds later, the bride is being whisked away to safety. A number of port authorities are under house arrest as an investigation begins. Officials saying 2,750 tons of ammonia nitrate, commonly used in fertilizer, was improperly stored in a warehouse for six years. Local media suggest a welder set it off by accident. Lebanon was already in the throes of economic collapse. Now 300,000 people are homeless and thousands are being pushed deeper into poverty. It's an economic crisis, a financial crisis, a political crisis, a health crisis, and now this horrible explosion. So there are many layers to what's happening in Lebanon that is constantly testing the ability of the Lebanese and the refugees who live in Lebanon to be resilient. International aid is arriving and repairing the destruction is estimated at $5 billion. Grace Key, Global News.
And coming up, how the local community here in B.C. is stepping up to help the victims in Beirut. Right now, though, let's turn to the latest COVID-19 numbers for B.C. We have 47 new cases, which brings B.C.'s total to 3,834. No new deaths today, so that number holds at 195. There is one more person in hospital than yesterday for a total now of nine. Six of them are in ICU. That's up two. We have 3,288 people who are considered fully recovered, leaving B.C. now with 351 active cases. B.C. is urging the federal government to tighten up airline rules after our top doctors said the public would be shocked to see how little information flight manifests provide for COVID-19 contact tracing. But as Ted Chernecki reports, the country's largest airline says it's baffled by Dr. Henry's claims. Before our departure, maybe have your attention while cabin crew point out to safety features. You know how almost everyone ignores those safety announcements at the beginning of every flight? Well, now the domestic airline industry is itself being accused of not paying enough attention to the COVID crisis. It would shock you to see what we get from, um, from the airlines when we request a flight manifest. Today, BC's transportation minister has written to her federal counterpart saying, instead of listing the name and contact information of the person on the plane, the data often includes the name of a travel agency that booked the flight or includes a frequent flyer number or the name of the individual who bought the ticket but may not have flown. The airlines have been on a public relations suicide mission since the COVID-19 pandemic started. It is not only this issue, but when you look at refunds to passengers, selling middle seats and cramming people into flights, and now issues with contact tracing. In a statement, Air Canada says this about BC's complaint. Frankly, we are baffled by Dr. Henry's comments. Both Air Canada and the National Airlines Council of Canada have reached out to Dr. Bonnie Henry's office on multiple occasions to discuss any concerns she may have, and they have so far refused to get back to us. I'm happy to meet with the airlines, uh, so I look forward. I hope, I hope to be doing so soon. But they will say to me, I'm sure, that they don't answer to me. They answer to the federal government. And, um, uh, and we'll say to them, here's what uh, we think we need. It does not provide the information we need to, to find people quickly. And that's an ongoing thing. It's not just Air Canada. It's every airline. Um, it's something that's a challenge around the world. International flights are not as big a problem as airlines are required to provide passenger information and strict quarantine rules apply. There isn't the same oversight on domestic flights, at least not yet. Ted Chernaki, Global News. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry for more on COVID-19 in BC. And Keith, you've been digging into some of the latest cases. And what we're finding is the demographic is indeed changing. Changing significantly, Sophie. I've been looking at this for weeks now. It's gone from being an older person's virus to very much a young person's virus. At the beginning of the pandemic, uh, you can go to the BC Centre for Disease Control website and get the data here. Uh, the, uh, in terms of the first hundred cases, a few hundred cases, only about 20% were considered young people under 40. That's changed dramatically. It's now 66%. Here's the numbers of the last 146 cases that were uh, released yesterday. You can see the fastest growing age group right now is 20 to 29, uh, with 30% of those cases 
followed by 30 to 39, and then 40 to 49. Even uh, 1 to 19 is now 14%. They were almost invisible at the beginning of the pandemic. And now over 50, which was the dominant age group at the beginning, is now the bottom age group of just uh, less than 10%. Uh, and this is a trend that's been going on for a number of weeks now. And I think what you're seeing is a reflection of more and more activity uh, being, being expressed by people, particularly young people. You've heard Dr. Henry criticize or at least tell people don't gather in large numbers at parties and such. And we're seeing some of the cases uh, that are showing up now reflecting of that changing behavior. As I say, this is now becoming a younger person's virus. So if you think you're 22 years old and you can party, you're not immune from mm -hmm. getting this. And I think this is going to track like this throughout the summer. All right, we'll see what happens. Thank you, Keith. Well, we now have a better idea of what the return to school in September will look like. Many B.C. families are still facing uncertainty when it comes to before and after school care and how that fits in with the school cohort system that was announced. Richard Zussman reports. It's a decision Margot Tafts has struggled to make. We won't be doing before and after school care. Um, we're concerned about the plans for school. We're concerned about Mama, keeping our family safe. The mom of two still trying to understand the province's new back-to-school plan, putting all kids into learning groups. Up to 60 people for lower grades, 120 for high school. But the limited interactions break down with before and after school care, where one facility may have kids from multiple schools and multiple groups all interacting daily. It's not a, an, a, an easy answer. We don't have all the details yet, but those are the things that will work out. But families are running out of time waiting for things to be worked out. Lisa Patterson's grappling with sending her daughter to a large centre supporting three elementary schools or keeping her home and impacting her own work commitments. If our bubble is expanding to 60 kids at school and another 30 kids at daycare and all of their families and contacts, um, it's really hard to reconcile that with the public health messaging. Child care advocate Sharon Gregson says each school needs to be in touch with child care providers to ensure care is available and safe. Even the cohorts are, are taken into account, which children are in which cohort attending which child care program. With still more to come on before and after school care, the province is advising parents to cut down on other activities like dance, swimming and music. We have lots of therapies and lots of activities that we do and opportunities for learning outside of school that we aren't getting. Taft says with September getting closer and still many questions about school, even sending her kids back to class is very much up in the air. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, despite the pandemic, it has been a steady summer for the Metro Vancouver housing market. Last month's residential home sales were up 22% over July of 2019 and nearly 10% above the 10-year July average. The current benchmark price of a detached home is still shockingly high at more than $1.4 million. The Real Estate Board of Vancouver says it's all the result of pent-up activity from both home buyers and sellers. Lower interest rates and limited supply means competition is also ramping up in the market. Despite encampments moving from park to park in Metro Vancouver and at least one growing tent city, the latest homeless count prior to COVID shows the numbers haven't really changed much in three years. Catherine Urquhart has more on one vulnerable segment of the population that is seeing an increase in homelessness. Vancouver's Strathcona Park, 
where hundreds of homeless people now live. Our homeless population up slightly, according to the 2020 homeless count in Metro Vancouver. This count will be really important for understanding some of the impact. It was done just before the pandemic really became an issue for everyone in this province. The count shows 3,634 people are homeless, compared to 3,605 three years ago. But at Strathcona Park, some say the numbers don't tell the whole story. Just think how many people are dying and die every month. Do you take in consideration those numbers? Also notable, 25% of the homeless are seniors, up from 23% in 2017. We've seen this number growing over the years and you start to understand that people will be aging within the homelessness serving system themselves. So as they age in shelters without a place to stay, you'll see that number go up. The survey took place March 3rd and 4th, with homeless advocates pointing out it's now worse due to the pandemic. We do know that more people are vulnerable and more people will be precariously housed as a result. And we also are seeing it in the growing number of encampments and the other number of people who just are living on the streets. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. It was a trip to the backcountry that looked more like a trip to the dump. An abandoned beer pong table, empties and other junk left behind by a group of trashy campers. The off-roaders who found it and what they're doing about it in just over a minute. Canada inks a deal to provide doses of a COVID-19 vaccine as soon as one is available. The details coming up on the news hour. And back on Earth, but still over the moon. Astronauts Bob and Doug recount the rocket ride that put America back in the space race. Right now, though, pack out what you pack in. That's always the rule for backcountry campers, but it's a rule many of them are ignoring. A group of campers on Harrison Lake left behind an astonishing pile of empties, camping equipment and other trash. Nadia Stewart shows us who found it and why it's happening more often. It's astonishing, but not in a good way. It is a campsite mess unlike anything Dee Hudson has ever seen. It honestly looks like a frat house left on the beach. It's why she decided to go public, sharing these pictures on social media, hoping people get the message, this is not okay. This is not, this does not reflect us. We are not like this. We are better than this and we can do better. Hudson was heading back from Merritt recently and decided to camp near Harrison Lake with some friends. They ended up choosing a spot near a group of backcountry partiers. The following morning, Hudson says the rowdy group was gone but the trash they left behind. It wasn't even just garbage. It wasn't just recycling. It wasn't just food. It was tables. It was, it was basically their whole party set up. It was tents. It was, you know, parts of boats and gas containers. Seems like a tenfold increase in the number of people out in the front country and then starting to reach into the back country. The head of the Four-Wheel Drive Association of BC says there's a connection between the increase in people and the pandemic but he says it's the type of crowd that's most concerning. What we're seeing lately is, is more of the uh, the party garbage, really. You know, it's the, it's the cups and the chip bags and the snacks and that sort of thing. Hudson was planning to take a crew in there to clean it up, but the mess was already cleared away when our camera visited the site on Wednesday afternoon. The province is aware of the incident. We're going to rely on education and goodwill. Obviously, if somebody's caught uh, leaving uh, a lot of trash behind, we have the ability to level it 
uh, levy administrative penalties, and we will. For now, the message from Hudson. If you can't clean up after yourself, that, you know, you're asking for help. So you can leave the place better than you found it. Nadia Stewart, Global News. We're learning more about that dramatic houseboat fire on Mara Lake and just how close it came to becoming a major tragedy. An extended family group of 21 people from Saskatchewan was on board when the houseboat went up in flames early Tuesday morning. That group included 13 children. The 75-foot vessel was moored on the lake shore, but the flames spread so fast those aboard had to run out in their pajamas. That's when people living and staying in nearby cabins jumped into action. When we came out of the cabin, we could just hear like, like kids crying. And we thought, oh my gosh, like what's happening? But it was lucky they were all off the boat. <laughs> they all ran out in their pajamas and they, they didn't have anything. I think maybe one of them had a phone and one had a wallet and that was it. Like absolutely nothing. Due to wildfire concerns, members of the Sycamus Fire Department attended the scene by boat pumping water on the burning houseboat and nearby land just to be sure that flames didn't spark a secondary blaze. Up next, BC banding together to help the Lebanese community. Also it's ahead. extremely important to me that our citizens do not have to decide between their health and their right to vote. Also ahead, how COVID-19 could influence the U.S. election, U.S. president's conflicting claims about mail-in votes. But first, the bizarre tragedy at a rural property in the B.C. interior. Colombians with loved ones in the Lebanese capital of Beirut are sharing some heartbreaking accounts of the blast devastating aftermath. One Vancouver woman says the Beirut she knew is no longer recognizable. As Rumina Dea reports, Canadians are coming together to help with relief efforts. The life that I knew there is just destroyed. Tara Ashkar's heart crushed. Her childhood home in Beirut smashed to pieces. It's horrible. I mean, it's where I grew up. It's my, it's my life. It's my family. It's my friends. It's it being so far and feeling useless. Ashkar's parents and family are alive, but Beirut will never be the same. From many Vancouverites whose loved ones are frightened, now trying to survive in this obliterated land. You know, you wake up into a normal day and then you end up homeless. No shelter, no food, no water. Like you have nothing. You're literally on the ground. As international aid begins landing in Lebanon, thousands of kilometers away, Vancouver businesses are mobilizing. With our Lebanese background, we feel uh, the people of Lebanon are very close to our hearts, so we wanted to do something to help. Nuba Restaurants partnering with Faculty Brewing to create a special ale, 100% of proceeds going to the Lebanese Red Cross this weekend. The poor people, we have to help them that way, so I love that to help in any way. It's good how how quickly people have started to support uh, everything in Beirut. The power of community. Ashkar forever grateful for the financial support and the friendship. We all are, are hurt from the inside and just being together to hold each other's hands and to help each other during these times is, is really important, especially that we're so far away from home. Romina Dea, Global News. 
And we'll let you know there is a candlelight vigil planned in about an hour from now, 7.30 p.m. at the Vancouver Art Gallery. Organizers do say if you'd like to participate, they welcome you down there, but please wear a mask for safety. Tragedy in Tulamine. Authorities are investigating the sudden death of two people in the small B.C. interior community. A man and woman in their 30s were found dead in a shower shed on their property. Shelby Tom reveals what likely killed them. A team of technical safety BC investigators arrive on scene Wednesday to determine if two young people died from carbon monoxide poisoning while vacationing with friends over the August long weekend. It was just before 9 p.m. on Monday when emergency crews rushed to the 2nd Street property in Tulamine. The pair pulled from a shower shed in cardiac arrest. Our first responders did note the odor of propane in the building when they first arrived at the scene. Neighbors we spoke to declined to go on camera but told us the victims were a 37-year-old mission man who owned this property and his 31-year-old girlfriend from Pitt Meadows. Neighbors say the scene was frantic after a friend broke down the door of the shower shed and discovered the pair on the ground unconscious. But resuscitation efforts failed. The tiny recreational community northwest of Princeton shocked by the tragedy. Oh, it's terrible. Trying to wrap your head around how it could happen even. It's pretty scary when something like that happens. Several authorities are investigating if the pair was poisoned by carbon monoxide due to a potentially faulty on-demand propane hot water system that heated the shower. BC's technical safety regulator says gas appliance malfunctions are an all-too-common problem. Last year we had about 500 incidents and hazards reported to us. Unfortunately, every year uh, one or two or three of those results in some injury or even fatality. Because carbon monoxide is so deadly, fines for poorly built gas systems in BC can be upwards of $100,000. You can't smell it or taste it. You can't see it. Um, the only way to detect it is is with a carbon monoxide detector. The victim's identities have not been released. Shelby Tom, Global News, Tulamine. It's a relatively small wildfire, but it forced the temporary closure of the Okanagan Connector near Peachland overnight. Wildfire crews were on the scene extinguishing hot spots this morning. The fire erupted along Highway 97C east of Trepanier Road late Tuesday evening. Fortunately, the B.C. Wildfire Service was able to get a hold of it before it could spread. The blaze is now being classified as held at only half an acre. Even though it's being held or under control, um, there are still a lot of work that has to be done in regards to making sure that the hot spots and the inner fuel layers are completely cooled down so there's no potential of those fires spreading uh, any, any further. And that fire is believed to have been human-caused. Up next, a new use for hallucinogens in healthcare. This is a major victory how mushrooms could be the magic touch for end-of-life care and beyond. Also tonight, Tropical Storm Isaias and the major damage it did up and down the U.S. East Coast. Still seeing some leftover volume here at the Lionsgate Bridge tonight. An earlier crash on the North Shore was causing some major congestion heading south, so traffic is still quite busy, especially out of West Vancouver, backed up through Park Royal and right to the south end of the Lionsgate Bridge. Sussex Insurance are your auto plan experts for insurance renewals, changes, or other ICBC transactions all from home. Just visit SussexInsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center.
Ottawa has reached a new deal with pharmaceutical giants Pfizer and Moderna to secure millions of doses of potential COVID-19 vaccines. Procurement Minister Anita Anand says the government is looking ahead to the next stage of COVID-19 recovery, which includes preparing the country for mass vaccinations. Pfizer has fast-tracked efforts to develop a vaccine and is optimistic about their trials. Pfizer is evaluating at least four experimental vaccine candidates and is currently undergoing clinical trials. These trials are occurring in various countries, including Germany and the United States, and are already exhibiting promising results. Ottawa will also increase funding for vaccine and treatment research. Any vaccines that emerge from the trial will need to be approved first by Health Canada before being ruled out. With nearly 5 million cases and a death toll approaching 160,000, America's COVID crisis shows no sign of slowing down. And that is creating some new worries as the country gears up for the November presidential election. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. The case numbers continue to soar now in the U.S. Midwest and South. These patients are some of the sickest we've ever seen. South Carolina's death toll up by 86%. Mississippi's case count nearly the highest per capita in the country, leading to a new mask mandate. If we do the little things, it will make a difference. The figures lost on a president eager to get the economy and schools reopened. This thing's going away. It will go away like things go away. There are signs of improvement, but they come with a caveat. Florida's case count increased by only 5,000 on Wednesday, but a tropical storm closed testing sites last week. A reporting glitch in California could be undercounting that state's cases. All of this playing into worries about safety for the upcoming election. Many states are pushing for mail-in ballots. It is extremely important to me that our citizens do not have to decide between their health and their right to vote. President Trump is suing Nevada to stop it while letting Florida go forward. Florida has been working on this for years and they have a very good system. Trump claims fraud will run rampant. Experts disagree with thousands of U.S. counties and even more styles of ballots. It's easier to go convince people to vote for your candidate than it is to try to manufacture a... um, a fake election. There are also concerns the U.S. Postal Service isn't equipped for universal voting by mail. Congress is now looking for billions of dollars to ensure its success. Americans have voted by mail since the Civil War, undercutting the argument for widespread fraud. But with the election less than three months away, experts say there's only a matter of weeks left to get a plan in motion. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. In Health Matters tonight, a Canadian first. Four people facing terminal diagnoses are granted permission by Health Canada to undergo magic mushroom therapy. Psilocybin is the hallucinogen in the mushrooms that a growing body of research shows can be immensely helpful for those facing their own mortality and otherwise untreatable depression. Brad McLeod reports. I am a father of two amazing children and I have stage four colon cancer. Thomas Hartle will be the first person outside of a clinical trial to take a legal trip on magic mushrooms. There isn't any pill that they can give me that can say that everything will definitely be okay after you die. 
The psychoactive ingredient in the mushroom, psilocybin, has been illegal for decades, but Health Canada just handed out four exemptions to people facing terminal diagnoses. I am absolutely elated. Dr. Bruce Tobin has been advocating for these exemptions for seven years, saying he has refrained from illegally treating people until now. I'm flying to Saskatoon to treat our first patient Wednesday of next week. We brought you Lori Brooks' story back in June. After several months, she just received her exemption, but took her trip over a year ago. It allowed me to not worry about what is coming tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. I don't think that they would have given uh, these approvals unless there was a substantial scientific evidence that treatment with psilocybin is indeed safe and effective. In a statement, Health Canada cautioning, these exemptions do not change the fact that the sale and possession of magic mushrooms remain illegal in Canada, and that there are risks of increased heart rate, blood pressure, flashbacks and bad trips that may lead to risk-taking behavior, traumatic injuries, and even death. I think the first thing I said when I came out of it was that was amazing, but I never want to do it again. Tobin says he hopes future exemptions will be issued quicker. Health not committing to that, just saying they'll review each request for an exemption on a case-by-case basis. Brad McLeod, Global News. Up ahead, Bob and Doug back home. Pretty funny to hear that you have an astronaut's calling whoever we can call. The prank calls they made after Splashdown that had a practical purpose, too. And coming up in sports, a gut check for the Canucks who won when they had to. Busy at the BC Ferries. We'll start with Twasson to Swartz Bay. The 7 p.m. sailing is just over half full. And this just in, no vehicle space left for today on... From Tawasson to Sun Gulf Islands, the 710 is sold out. And Tawasson to Duke Point, 815 sailing. That's just over three-quarters fall. The Big Spin $5 scratch ticket is here, and you could spin the big wheel for a chance to win $500,000. Available at your lottery retailer. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. With TikTok under fire as U.S. President Donald Trump threatens to ban the Chinese-owned video app, Instagram is revealing its answer to the popular platform. The lowdown on reels, right after Christie's forecast. Let's check in with Christy right now. Oh, just before we get there, uh, a look at the fallout from Hurricane Isaias first, which transitioned from tropical storm to hurricane and back as it slammed into the Carolinas and steamrolled its way up the East Coast. Tonight, the Northeast is rushing to restore power after one of the largest outages since Superstorm Sandy eight years ago. I'm still in shock. Tropical storm Isaias roared through here, knocking out electricity to about three million people. A tornado ravaged this neighborhood in New Jersey. It was so scary, it was so loud, and I knew that it was coming. So I got under the desk in the office. Today, a horrible discovery in Pennsylvania. The body of five-year-old Eliza Hilal, who had autism. Her parents say she wandered out of her home at the height of the storm. For some, the damage couldn't have come at a worse time. Powerless in a pandemic. These are unsettled times. It's incredible that we're suffering through a 100-year pandemic. And now at the same time, We just got hit with probably the third worst electric storm we've had. 
Today, the governors of Connecticut and New York declared a state of emergency, but Isaias devastated communities up and down the East Coast, from ferocious flooding in Philadelphia to a deadly tornado in Delaware. There's a lot going on. Uh, we were very anxious. Stephen Hoder and his wife Kathy are now relying on a generator in Plantsville, Connecticut, a matter of life or death for their daughter, who has an autoimmune disease. It's vital for her to have the electricity so because we have a machine that helps to clear her airway and if we can't run the machine, she wouldn't be able to breathe. So many families here are preparing for another night without power. Authorities say it could be days before it's restored. Amazing. All right, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at our own forecast. A little bit of a change, but nothing like ESA ES. No, that's right. I mean, ESA ES did hit uh, Canada as well. Uh, for parts of uh, Quebec, saw 90 millimeters of rain in just a few hours, whereas we're on the other end of things. Yes, it was another gorgeous day. In my opinion, the perfect summer day. 26 degrees in Metro Vancouver, and the feels like was just a touch more. So, yes, terrific conditions, but as we've been advertising, we're in for a change and it's going to be a couple of days of change. It's going to be a slow climb out of it, but we will get back to summer Sunday and Monday, everyone. In the meantime, here's a look at what you can expect. So the front will push in across the south coast overnight tonight. That's when we're going to see the bulk of the rainfall. Metro Vancouver, especially the Fraser Valley, still some rainfall, though, through the morning hours before it continues to shift towards the east. Okanagan Valley will also see that rainfall. Well needed rain, by the way, but you also have a risk of thunderstorms. So watch to see how that plays out. Out tomorrow. Now, in behind that band, still a bit of instability. So, by the afternoon hours, some breaks of sunshine, certainly, but still a slight chance of showers, and it's going to continue. We will see more cloud on Friday, and another wave pushes in Friday night, and that takes us into our Saturday. So, we certainly have a few days of unsettled weather on the way, but it's well needed, as we know, with the fire danger rating high to extreme across southern BC. So, 10 to 20 millimeters in the next 24 hours for the south coast. Uh, not much for the Okanagan Valley, but certainly some in through uh, Cache Creek, Williams Lake up to 10, and that's the same for uh, the Kootenai region. So cloud, showers, cooler conditions, and a risk of thunderstorms right across the province. Now for the south coast, majority of that rainfall will be overnight tonight for the next 24 hours. We'll see it ease off in the morning with breaks of blue sky later on in the day tomorrow. But as I mentioned, three days of unsettled weather on the way. Not soakers necessarily, but enough to help things along. And here's your central windows weather window for tonight. Tonight, a gorgeous shot, very crisp shot of a honeysuckle and a hummingbird, thanks to Blair. Oh, beautiful. Thank you, Christy. Well, Facebook's Instagram is raising the stakes in a social media rivalry. Reels is Instagram's answer to the immensely popular short video app TikTok. It gives anyone the ability to create and discover short form edited videos with audio and music. The Reels option will be available in the Instagram app. The company has been testing it since November in Brazil and in France, Germany and India since earlier this summer. For Reels? Full Reels. I don't even understand TikTok yet. So. <laughs> I won't get Reels, that's for sure. That's right. All right, what's really going on in sports? Let's find out. Big win for the Canucks last night, at least. Oh, it was. It was, well, it was necessary, obviously, in a best of five. You don't want to go down 0-2. But there is bad news, along with the good news for the Canucks in the wake of their win last night. Michael Furland has left Edmonton. He's coming back to Vancouver because of an undisclosed medical issue. When it comes to Furland, maybe it's another concussion issue. 
Also coming up, home sweet home, the bumpy ride back from the space station and how the crew dragon lived up to its name. All right. It's, I know. I'll tell you about it in the. Okay. Later. We were talking about Cameo in the break, if you know what that is. I don't know if anybody would pay to hear from Michael Furland right now, but they definitely want to know what's going on with his health, Squire. All right. Um, before we talk about what's good with the Vancouver Canucks, we have to talk about what's bad, and that is injuries. And this afternoon, as we just mentioned before the break, Michael Furland was sent home to Vancouver after he left last night's game with some sort of ailment. They won't say what it is, but of course, when it comes to Furlan, you automatically think it's concussion-related, given his history. And if it is, you wonder how much more hockey he can play. He will not return for the rest of this series at least. And this series has taken its toll already. Adam Gaudet and Tyler Toffoli couldn't suit up last night because of unknown situations. And then there was this. Jake Vertanen's slap shot hitting Antoine Roussel in the side of the head. And that was at full speed. No chance to protect yourself. Roussel was on the ice for just a short time. He got up, left the game, but there's been no word on how he's doing. The uh, Canucks need his grittiness with Furland going home. Now the good news for the Canucks is they've tied the series. And Game 3, you should know this, Game 3 is tomorrow morning at 11.30 our time. They got their big guys scoring. They scored early. That's what they have to do against the Minnesota Wild because the Wild are the type of team, just like in game one, take a lead and then go into a defensive shell and hold it the rest of the way. Have a shot on goal in game one. Scores! Tanner Pearson let it fly. And the Canucks are on the board. Scoring the opening goal against Minnesota was huge for the Canucks. And it sure seemed like it was a long time coming. But just as big was who did the scoring for Vancouver. JT Miller driving the lane. Pedersen. Miller scores! JT Miller. I think them playing with a lead is a little different than them not. Uh, the ice kind of opened up a little bit for us tonight to make a couple plays. Um, obviously, like Mark, Marky said, Pierce scoring the first shift I think felt really good for the team. Getting shut out in game one. You know, we felt like crap a little bit after that because uh, we felt like we didn't play a bad game, but um, had a little bit more to give. So I think that was a great start to the game. Not on the pitch, but in, scores! Brock Besser! All four goals the Canucks pumped in last night to even their series with Minnesota came from their top six forwards. Guys expected to score, and players the Canucks need to produce if they want to advance through the Stanley Cup playoffs. You know, we've maybe haven't been in the NHL playoffs or the Stanley Cup playoffs before a lot of us. Um, but you know, just from past experience, that you know, if you not if you don't have a great night, you gotta you gotta elevate your game to to be better, and um, that's what makes great players uh, you know who they are and and why they're great. And I think you know if you want to be successful and you want your team to be successful, you gotta elevate your game. The Canucks have yet to concede a five on five goal in this series. In game two, they looked more confident and played with a calmness that we didn't see in the opening game. Maybe it's the Louis Erickson factor. Aside from Bo Horvat and JT Miller, Erickson's 20 minutes of ice time, the most by any forward that Travis Green sent over the boards in Game 2. You know, he brings a lot of different things to the game that uh, people don't notice. We can use him in a matchup role. Uh, I think Bo, Bo's line played a lot better last game. And uh, whenever we seem to put Louie there, uh, it seems to...
to just solidify the line a little bit. All right. Predators and Coyotes. Nick Jalmerson's shot tipped in by Christian Dvorak. It's a 1-0 lead. Then, with the score 1-1, which was the uh, score in the series as well, Connor Garland is going to give Arizona a 2-1 lead. Very nice. And then Taylor Hall on the power play. And the uh, Coyotes have the lead back in this series, 2-1. to one. Florida trying to save itself from getting kicked out of the bubble in Toronto. They need to win. Eric Halla. Halla back guy. Yeah. But then he does this. He not only scores goals, he blocks shots, and that is a big owie. But he does get a nice healing hug from Aaron Ekblad. Feel better, buddy? Thanks. And one more. Look at the passing here on the power play. Mike Hoffman finishes this off. So the Panthers win, and they stay alive down 2-1 to the Islanders. Uh, Montreal and Pittsburgh are 3-3 right now. Here are some round-robin games. Colorado is 2-0 in the round-robin. So is Tampa Bay. PGA Championship starts tomorrow at Harding Park in San Francisco. And to paraphrase Mark Twain, the coldest winter I ever felt was a summer in San Francisco. And cold is not good for Tiger Woods' wonky back. I know that uh, I won't have the same range of motion that I would when it's back home in Florida with 95 every day. Uh, that's just the way it is. We knew that coming in. And I think the weather forecast will be like this all week. Um, marine layer, cool, windy, and uh, we're all going to have to deal with it. When you said cameo earlier, I really thought you guys were going to break in the word up. The band, yeah. <laughs> but That's I was disappointed. I really was looking forward to that, actually. Just Google cameo. It's disturbing. You'll know what's going on. All right, here's Andrew now. The preview of Global News at 11 tonight. Anne. Thanks, Chris. Members of the local Lebanese community will gather this evening at the Vancouver Art Gallery to remember and honor those who died in that massive explosion in Beirut. And a suspect wanted in connection with the sexual assault at Oppenheimer Park is wanted by police for allegedly breaching conditions of her release. 33-year-old Nicole Edwards. Edwards was last seen on July 20th at a halfway house in Surrey. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris, Sophie. Sounds good. Thanks, Anne. Up next, Bob and Doug's excellent adventure to space and back. Stay with us. We're hearing more from the crew of that historic space mission involving a partnership between NASA and SpaceX. The two astronauts, affectionately known as Bob and Doug by Canadians, discuss their journey to the space station and back just days after their spectacular splash landing back on Earth. Three, two, one. From Zero. liftoff in late May liftoff of the Falcon 9 to the picture-perfect splashdown in the Gulf of Mexico. Welcome back to planet Earth. Astronauts Doug Hurley and Bob Binkin say at first glance their flight is proof that NASA's commercial program is mission ready. We're perfectly comfortable saying that uh, uh, Crew 1 is ready. Binkin describing their rapid descent back to Earth this past Sunday aboard the aptly named Crew Dragon. A dragon really, it came alive. It sounds like an animal coming through the atmosphere. Feeling a sudden jolt as pieces of their spacecraft detached and parachutes deployed to slow their re-entry. It's like getting uh, hit in the back of the chair with a baseball bat. 
Once in the water, a flotilla of onlookers suddenly surrounded the craft. But Hurley says with the scorch marks and the way the window was positioned, they had no idea. And as crews readied Dragon for a return to solid ground, the two men had a little fun making what Hurley dubbed prank calls. That probably was a pretty funny to hear that you have astronauts calling whoever we can call. It turns out those calls actually served a practical purpose, testing out the sat phone capability for future missions. Among those, they called Hurley and Benkin's wives, who are also astronauts. This was a great chance to reassure them that we were in the water, we were okay, we were feeling good. It'll likely be weeks before NASA and SpaceX officially certify this mission a success, but the space agency is already planning future flights with SpaceX in the effort to return to the moon one day and maybe eventually Mars. Now we've got commercial crew to the International Space Station, and eventually we're going to have a whole fleet of commercial space stations among those set to ride in the same Dragon space capsule, Bankin's wife, Megan MacArthur. It's definitely her turn to, to focus on getting her mission accomplished. The astronauts ultimately spent 64 days in orbit, and during their time on the space station, they shared the incredible perspective from more than 200 miles up. The pair hoping their historic flight inspired and provided a welcome distraction for all of us back on Earth. And we hope it brings a little bit of brightness to a pretty tough 2020. You got that right. Astronauts married to astronauts. Yeah. Brilliant dinner table conversation, I would bet. <laughs> and uh, never on the same mission together. <laughs> yeah. All right, last word on weather maybe before we go here, Christy. So rainfall overnight, we'll see it at ease late in the morning tomorrow with some breaks of blue sky, but certainly remaining unsettled for the next few days. The next real bout of summer is not until about Sunday, Monday. All right, and don't forget that morning game. Hey, Squire? 1130. All right. Let's thanks. hope the Canucks get up in time. That's right. Thanks, everyone. See Good you tomorrow. Night, all.